Hey, Young and Profiters, quick announcement before I get into the show. I'm now on Clubhouse and you can find me at Hala Taha. I love this new app and I've been spending a ton of time on there and starting February, every other Tuesday, I'm going to be hosting a live masterclass with past Yap guests on Clubhouse from 4.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time. On February 2nd, our kickoff event, John Lee Dumas, David Meltzer, Jason Waller, and Heather Monahan will be joining me to discuss influence and negotiation. And the best part is we'll be taking live questions from the audience. If you want to get in on this event, follow me on Clubhouse at Halataha and mark your calendars for February 2nd. I'll put the Clubhouse link in our show notes. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Paul Getter, consultant, social media expert, speaker, and serial entrepreneur. Paul is the founder and CEO of the Internet Marketing Nerds. In 2009, Paul Getter was broke, struggling, and delivering phone books out of the back of his car to make ends meet. After teaching himself about the power of internet marketing, he created the Internet Marketing Nerds and quickly became one of the most sought-after marketing experts in the world. He has spent over $1 billion running ads and campaigns for his clients and has helped scale numerous businesses into eight figures per year. Paul has worked with famed clients like Ty Lopez, Les Brown, Grant Cardone, Lewis Howes, and Tim Story. In today's episode, we discuss how Paul got his start working with Facebook paid ads. We'll understand how to capitalize on organic reach, and we'll uncover how Paul was able to snag top tier clients. We'll then get into his golden rules of paid advertising, why personal branding is so important, and we'll go over the fundamentals of funnels. Hey, Paul, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you very much, Holla. How did I get on Young and Profiting? (laughs) I'm like, I'm too old to be on Young and Profiting, but thank you very much for having me here. (laughs) We actually have listeners of all ages, and I tend to interview people who are older than me and older than our listeners because you guys have the wisdom to share. And so there's no age limit on Young and Profiting Podcasts. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Good, good, because I've been on Old and Profiting Podcasts before, but this is the first (laughs) time on Young and Profiting Podcasts. So thank you. Not the invitation. At, of course, of course. And this is not going to be stale like old and profiting podcasts. It's going to be super fresh. <laughs> good, so good. Uh, let's talk about everything marketing. So you are like a paid advertising guru, right? Um, we're both in the marketing world. So we have plenty to talk about. I think we're going to jive really well together. And so you've worked with super 
high-profile guests like uh, Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez, Tim Story, who was just on my show. Really? And I was just I just chatting with Tim yesterday. So awesome guy. He's so amazing. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, we hit it off. So he's a great guy and you've worked with everybody, Gary Vee. I mean, it's incredible, you know, who you've had on your list of clients. And so we're going to get into that, how to network and how to reach those high-profile people. But first I want to talk about your come-up story. You actually went to school and you had a degree in theology. So that's really strange. Some people don't even know what that means. So tell us about that and how you went from theology to marketing without any formal training. Okay. Yeah. So uh, again, thank you very much for having me here, Holly. It's amazing to connect with you and your audience. So yeah, I got a degree in theology. And for those that don't know what theology is, a study of God, I went to Bible college and often called seminary. And one of the things that I quickly learned after graduating with a degree in theology, that it wasn't a very marketable degree. You fill out an application say you got a degree in theology. People are like, okay, I don't know if you're going to work for us, you know, and things like that. I remember filling out an application one time, someone said, theology, isn't that the study of rocks? I'm like, no, that's geology. Uh, so yeah, I, I brought up my um, father was a minister. And really, if someone gets a degree in theology, they're not necessarily going to uh, school to figure out how to make money. It's more of a personal development type of path. But quickly after graduating with a degree in theology, I realized, hey, it's not very marketable. And then I kind of found myself I was always involved in tech or nerdy type stuff. And so I just kind of began to explore. At this time, it was more of kind of like building websites and search engine optimization and things like that. Yeah. And so you first, I think Facebook is like your main platform, or at least used to be. We'll get into maybe what you're using today. But you first got onto it because you created a Facebook page for your church. Tell us how you did that and how that opened your eyes to the possibilities of what Facebook could do. Yeah, so you you do amazing research. I, you know, how, how do you know these Where, details I, about You know me? what? I I'm just, you know, on point. We don't screw around here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you found the great details. So, so yeah, when I, one of my friends was going off to college and they said, hey, you need to get on Facebook. And I remember at this time, Facebook was kind of like games. They had Farmville and silly things like that. And I was like, I don't need to get on that. That's just a waste of time. And eventually I caved in and got on Facebook, started a Facebook. And what year was this? It's like around eight, 1870. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably around 2008 or so, 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And so it was Facebook was in its very beginning infancy stages. And again, the trend then was these micro games inside of the platform and you could play games endlessly. Uh, and it was less socializing, more about playing games. But I, I eventually I caved in, got on Facebook and started playing around and um, building Facebook pages. And I noticed that a few businesses would have Facebook pages. And so I was like, huh, you know, I really didn't have a business at this time, but I thought, well, maybe set up a Facebook page for our church. And so I set up a Facebook page for our church and just, you know, the picture and a little bit of information and everything like that and put a couple videos on there and stuff. And I remember 
a couple weeks later, I went to church and there was this new family there. And I asked them, I was like, where did you hear about us at? And they said, oh, we saw your Facebook page. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, whoa, okay, these are real people. Uh, they found out about us from Facebook. They showed up. And it was then I realized, okay, Facebook could be a platform that if used properly could help out a lot of businesses. And so at that point, I began to kind of like dabble around and, you know, connect with friends that had businesses and say, hey, you know, you need to get on Facebook. And, you know, I saw a business opportunity at that point. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me because I think it's important for my listeners to understand the need to take the opportunities in front of you. So for example, you were really into your church, you had a theology degree and you connected the dots. You found this face, you realized that, you know, hey, I can start this Facebook page. And then your passion for starting marketing and working on Facebook kind of outgrew your passion for theology, right? And so it's just so cool that you you took that experience and oftentimes people don't like they're too afraid to learn something new and just to like take on a new experience. And I feel like that's the only way you can really find your true passion is to actually take those experiences. Yeah, I I, I think to better word it, you know, my passion in theology and church, my, my faith, my relationship for that. I uh, found a place where I could equally connect those. And, and uh, as I mentioned, a degree in theology isn't very marketable from a monetary standpoint, and you don't do it for that reason. It's kind of like someone that has a, a degree in bird watching. Well, you may not make a whole lot of money in bird watching, but if you built a course or a training or something like that in bird watching, well, there is an opportunity. So it was a, a perfect fit where I could join the passion and a business, connect them together, and it could grow from there. Totally. So let's talk about organic reach. When you first started on Facebook, it was like the wild, wild west, huge organic reach. I mean, LinkedIn was kind of like that a couple years ago. Now we see Clubhouse, which I, I want to talk to you about. I, I just absolutely love Clubhouse. I'm not sure if you're on it, but like, tell us about Facebook. What was the organic reach like when you were first on it? And why does that happen? Why do platforms lose organic reach over time? Yeah. So it, it, it seems like every platform um, starts out like that. And I'll explain the reason here in just, just a moment. But yeah, so let's say, for example, you had a Facebook page of 100,000. 100, and, and Facebook, they call it 100,000 likes. I actually heard that Facebook is removing the metric of how many likes you have on your Facebook page. That's going to be changing soon. But let's say you had 100,000 likes on your Facebook page. If you would post something 100,000 people would see it. So, you know, instead of having a page of 100,000 people, you post something and you get 100 likes, you would get 100,000 likes and comments. And it was just, it was incredible. And so during that initial phase, when the organic reach was very high, you could build Facebook pages. You know, we would build Facebook pages from zero to a million in a month, maybe two months. And again, the organic reach was incredible. I remember when things would go viral, I had a, a small page, which the uh, page that I had 
that, again, I started building them as like hobbies for fun. Uh, the name of the page was called I Love Jesus. And I posted something on there. It only had 200,000 likes on it, but I would post something on there and it would always get at least 200,000, 300,000 likes. And I remember as it grew, it would get 200,000, 300,000 shares on post. So you could imagine how the organic reach was completely different back then. And then, as you know, things just slowly, slowly started to go down. And the reason why that happens is because of the audience on a social media platform, it grows. And so they want to have a more intelligent timeline. So, you know, if you're following 5,000 people, well, it's not necessarily the the best timeline that all 5,000 people, their content shows up. So they begin to throttle the engagement and the algorithm shows you what you engage with the most because they feel like that's more effective. So as a platform grows for you to see and interact with the stuff that is most important for you, they prioritize you know, content based upon your engagement and what's relevant to you at that moment versus a true, just organic reach. Got it. So it's more like they they keep changing their algorithm to make it more personal to you. And then wouldn't you say also like more content creators, more competition, like as people find out something's getting big organic reach, all the content creators go flock there. And then it's just more competition too, Yeah, right? so so it is. It's, it's just the more people that get onto the platform, the more that they have to change that, that algorithm to meet what you want to see or what they think. And that's that's why people oftentimes hate algorithms. I call them algorithm monsters is because they're like, well, I'm not really seeing what I, I want to see or I'm posting. A lot of the, most of the times the people that complain about the algorithm is the content creators because their content isn't being seen by as many people they think should be seen. And so, yeah, it, it it puts you in a position where content and what you do and the quality is more important than just putting out, you know, silly, meaningless memes or something like that. Totally. So are you on Clubhouse? I am on Clubhouse. I am on Clubhouse. I, I My uh, username on Clubhouse is nerd, nerd or nerds. I don't know if it's singular or plural. I think it's I think it's just nerd. I tried to get Paul. My Instagram name is Paul, which is, you know, that, that was a big trophy That's for me. Wow. Yeah, my Instagram name <laughs> is Paul. I tried to get Paul on Clubhouse, but one of the founders of Clubhouse, his name is Paul. So apparently he's not going to give it up. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I've been loving that app. I mean, that app has incredible organic reach, incredible networking opportunities. If people haven't heard of it, it's like an audio only app. You need an invite right now to, to get on it, but it's growing super quickly. And all my, I'm a LinkedIn influencer, right? So I've got a big following on LinkedIn and, and I have a lot of LinkedIn influencer friends. We're all flocking to Clubhouse. It's like the new hot thing. So any thoughts around that platform? Yeah, so I've played around with it. My New Year's resolution for this year is to become more, my primary platform, as I mentioned, is Instagram. I've got over a million followers on Instagram, very active and involved uh, on Instagram, but I do understand the importance of being 
on multiple platforms and putting content out there. And so I'm focusing in on YouTube and also TikTok, putting content out on them this year. I've actually brought more people on my team to help me out with that. And then all of a sudden Clubhouse comes out and everybody's like, get on Clubhouse. So I jump on Clubhouse, number one, just to grab my username so nobody grabs it before me. And uh, I played around with it. I heard someone explain it really well. It's like the only live social media, you know, it's it's like truly live. And not only that, it's kind of like an interactive podcast, which is cool. You know, so there's like that engagement where, uh, you know, versus Instagram, for example, you post something and then people respond to it whenever they they see it or whatever. But Clubhouse is like everybody's sitting around the dinner table talking and, you know, having a conversation. So it's real live interaction. I think it's it's really cool and huge potential. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I do live streams all the time. And so like when you're doing a live stream, people are chatting questions, but it's not the same as hearing their voice. And and not to mention the fact that there's no video. So there's like no pressure. Like you could be driving in on Clubhouse. You could be like doing chores and on Clubhouse. And like, it's just so stress-free. That's what I love about it. It's like no work, you know? I mean, it's time, but it's it's not really a lot of work to do. So I love it. It's funny, when I first got on Clubhouse trying to figure it out and I just click on some of these marketing rooms and people talking, and then automatically they push the button or whatever and they put me on stage like, okay, talk now. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, this how this is how it works. You just jump in and then people tell you to talk. And I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And you just you know, start rambling and they ask you questions and stuff. So it is, it's really like you said, you know, I don't even have to have my bow tie on for Clubhouse. It's just, you know, I'm ready to go at any time. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I love it, man. I swear I put in uh, to everybody listening. Today is the day where I put in my two weeks notice to Disney streaming services. And I swear one of the reasons was like, I need more time for Clubhouse. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, yeah, exciting. Okay. So you've interviewed a lot of people that I've interviewed before. Uh, like we said, Tim Story earlier. I'm sure there's so much overlap in terms of the people who you've had as a client and who I've interviewed. And Ty Lopez was actually your first big break. How did you end up landing that big client? And what is your advice in terms of reaching really high level people in terms of your networking? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. A lot of times, as far as notable individuals, Ty Lopez was kind of the, one of the big names that I connected with initially. But prior to that, I think that there was a lot of big wins. You know, it's kind of like the iceberg theory, like, okay, there was a lot going on here before I started working with Ty Lopez. And of course, Ty Lopez, when I first started working with him, was this was you know, six years ago or so, you know, he was less prominent than he is now, still a very successful individual and doing big stuff. But I had a lot of big wins before that, where I had proven my skill and I was getting results for other clients. And really, how did it happen is it was a, a word of mouth referral. It's my understanding. I don't know all the details to it, but it somehow... 
one of the clients that I was working with was at the barber shop talking to the barber and, you know, just regular conversation was going on. How's business going? He's like, oh, great. You know, things are really growing. I'm working with this guy over in Florida and he's been doing this. And, you know, this this guy was a client of mine and he was talking to the barber about it. And that was the extent of the conversation. Well, the next person in the barber seat was Ty Lopez. It was either Ty Lopez or someone on his team. They got talking. And next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call. And I didn't know who Ty Lopez was. And it was kind of a different field of work that I was doing again at this point, I was helping people grow their social media, grow their Facebook page, grow, help monetize their presence and things like that. And so I got a phone call from a guy. Hey, you know, I heard you were working with so-and-so. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. And I'm just answering questions, just telling him what I'm doing and stuff. And he told me, well, this is what we're doing. And I pulled up their profile, started looking at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can cut your calls probably by 80, 90%. And... You know, and it wasn't anything that I was, I just thought, yeah, that, I could do that. They're doing it wrong. That was one of the things that I learned really quickly is a lot of people were doing marketing in the early days that they were running ads, but there was no real system or uh, Facebook had it where you could just like click a button, launch an ad and it, it was going. So a lot of people would just do that automatic ad population. Well, it wasn't the best uh, way to do it. And so I told him, yeah, I can get your cost 80, 90% down. And the call ended in about 15, 20 minutes later, the individual told me, they said, hey, my brother Ty wants to know if you could fly out to California tomorrow and have a conversation with us. I'm like, oh, this is strange. Want to fly me out there tomorrow? And I was like, Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. And so next thing you know, I'm sitting in Ty's office talking with him. That was his his brother, Ben, that I initially had the conversation with. And I just had my little iPad there. I'm like, yeah, so this is what you should do. This is what you're doing. And I remember at the end of the conversation, Ty was like, hey, Paul, you know what? I'm pretty sharp at marketing. I could probably figure out how you're doing this, but I don't want to waste my time. I want to hire you. When can you start? And I was like, well, as soon as I go back to the hotel, I can set up the ads. And so went back to the hotel, set up the ads. And I remember an hour or two later, I took a screenshot and showed them, okay, this is what you were doing. This is what you're doing now. And, you know, cost per click had dropped 90% using um, the method that I was using. He's like, okay, let's Let's go. <laughs> so that was kind That's of amazing. how I got yeah, how I got connected with Ty Lopez. Cool. Well, it goes to show the importance of relationships, right? You got it through a client referral and making a good impression on everyone is so important. And you actually often say relationships over revenue, right? So what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so here's the thing is a lot of times people they in business, and I think maybe it's a natural tendency is to, how can I say it, just chase the money. You know, what can I do to make money? And that's how we try to conceptualize a business is how to make money. And I think in, in the infancy stages of a business, that is like, okay, what can I do to pay the bills? What can I do to make money? And so you're trying everything. And But when you reverse it and you say, how can I help people? How can I build relationships? Granted, that is a longer process 
And I, and I, I've, I've done the reverse where it's like, what can I do to make money? And it's like, uh, you know, being an affiliate or doing, you know, um, ClickBank and things like that. And you make money, but you're not really helping. You're just making money. And so the thing about making quick money is it disappears as quickly as it comes. But when you build relationships with people and you authentically want to help people, then that goes so much further. That's it lasts longer. And I had a lot of my coaching students or clients during all of this craziness that we experienced in 2020 reach out to me, Paul, Paul, what do I do? What do I do? You know, uh, just kind of nervous and apprehensive. And I just told them, like, help people, help people. You, you might have to help people in a different way now, but if you help people, you will always be in business and the money will come from there. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And it's one of the best ways to like even get a mentor is to just offer help and and to help people and to just always be of value and provide service. So I, I totally agree there. Do you have any networking hacks or tips or a cool networking story that you can share with us in terms of like a scrappy way that you got to meet someone or get somebody, like get your foot in the door in terms of a client? Yeah, so a, a couple different things. Obviously, when it comes to social media, you're one DM away from anybody you want to connect with. Really. I mean, that's, you can meet anybody. It just takes some persistency. So I do this and people oftentimes find this peculiar that I would do this, but I will message, personally message 20, 30 people a day, people that I want to connect with, build relationship, or just someone doing cool stuff. And so I do that. I personally send messages to them, tell them, you know, I like their content. They're doing amazing things and leave it at that. I don't go for like, hey, I want to work with you. I want to do I just, you know, build a relationship. And then the ask might come later down the road. It might be a week. It might be a month. Who knows? But I just build relationships. I comment on their content. I I build a relationship with them on social media. And, you know, I've had amazing people respond to messages that I've sent them. And so that's a great way to build a relationship. A lot of times when it comes to connecting with higher profile people, whether it's A-list celebrities or big name influencers, uh, sometimes it's easier to connect with someone that is connected to them first versus connecting with them directly. So you kind of watch, you know, they have friends, they have people, maybe it's that person that is always commenting on their posts and um, getting a response, or you just kind of research and look who's connected to them because it's, it's often difficult to get connected to that person that you really want to get connected to. But if you connect with people that are connected to them, then it can naturally open up to building a relationship with them. But uh, a great way, and I, I've done this, and, and I still do this, is you find that that big influencer. Number one, you have to have a skill that is of value to help them. You got to be able to add value to their situation. But you just connect with them and say, let's say, for example, you're a graphic designer. Reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I would love to help you out on your graphic design. Is it okay if I make you, you know, 10 images, no charge, help you out? maybe your video editor, whatever your skill set is. So volunteer that for free. And then what that does is that opens the door for a conversation to get started. If your skills are good, it will just go further from there. 
Yeah, I love that advice. And I think that it's such an easy thing for people to do, especially like if you're in college or something like that and you're looking for a mentor or somebody you can intern for, I think that's the way to go is to just use whatever skills you have and offer them something for free and see if, if that gets them uh, talking to you. So totally agree there. Yeah, it's it's building relationship. It's helping them. And again, number one, your skills have to be good because if you're doing graphic designs or whatever it is, and it's not good, then it doesn't. Then you know, exactly, you, they're just going to be like, "Well, I don't want you to work uh, yeah. for me." No, that's okay. Yeah, hone your skills first. I totally agree. Totally agree. So let's talk about personal branding. So at some point, you were behind the scenes. And then you decided that you wanted to kind of come out and and really start your personal brand. So what triggered you wanting to start your personal brand? And then how did that influence your business later on? Yeah. So when it comes to personal branding, I often look back and think, man, I wish I would have started this sooner. But it was, I was kind of content with just helping other people build their brands, helping other businesses. And it wasn't until individuals like Ty Lopez would kind of like pull me out and say, hey, you know, this is a guy that's been helping me. I've been working with him, invite me to speak at masterminds and conferences and stuff. And so it's just kind of, you know, if it wasn't for individuals like that pulling me out and saying, hey, he's been helping me on this, and I probably would have been satisfied just staying behind the scenes. But I think you do have to look at Sometimes people, they are hesitant about building their own personal brand because they don't want to come across as arrogant or, you know, just me, me, me and stuff. But if you can sincerely help people, then all you're doing when it comes to building a personal brand is getting people's attention on you so you can show them how you can help people. So when it comes to building a personal brand, there's so much benefit of doing that because it is when you build a personal brand Whatever you connect yourself to, it will grow. So it's not just about a job or being employed by someone else, but you are building in your own personal personal brand gives you a few things. It gives you longevity. So a brand, whether it's personal or business brand, gives you longevity. It gives you a longer lifespan in that. Then it gives you loyalty. People are loyal to brands. They connect with personal brands and business brands. So loyalty. And then it gives you legacy. When everything's done and you fold up the chapter and you want to move on, you can pass on a brand, a personal brand or a business brand on to somebody else that can carry it on. So those are kind of like the the three L's of personal branding, loyalty, legacy, and longevity. So yeah, like Shaq, I was just walking through the mall the other day and I see posters and cutouts of Shaq. And he he's one of these guys that he was an athlete. Everybody knew him as an athlete. But now he is a huge personal brand. If he wants to endorse general car insurance, He's the face of that. If he wants to do Frosted Flakes, he's the face of that. Headphones, he's the face of that. Just so many different things. So if you have a good, strong personal brand, you're not limited to just marketing or just you know one specific field. But whatever you attach yourself to, people want to be connected to it also. 
Yeah, I totally get that. Totally agree. I often call it a transferable asset. So no matter where you go, you can go bring your personal brand. And for me, like I grew my personal brand on LinkedIn and I've never felt more secure, like in terms of job security, because it's like, you just become so like, everybody just wants to talk to you, network with you. There's just so many opportunities. So I would encourage everyone to start building their online personal brand. Like you have one, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. So how much money would you say that you've spent over the years in paid ads, like your clients' budgets and things like that? Like, what would you say? Yeah. So I can tell you this. It has been over a billion dollars that we have not, obviously not my money, but um, clients and, you know, different companies that we have worked with. You know, we've done campaigns where people are spending tens of millions of dollars a month on ads. We've worked with companies that spend a hundred million dollars in a few months on ads. So yeah, over 10 years, um, a few big clients, it adds up really quickly. Wow. So over a billion dollars in ads, what pops in my mind, you know, as a marketer too, is experimentation. Like, man, you've done a lot of experimentation over the years if you had a billion dollars that you've been running ads on. So like when it comes to like all the learnings that you've done, you've ran so many campaigns, I'm sure now you're probably not actually doing the day to day. So this might be a tough question for you, but like, what are the golden rules in terms of paid ads right now? Is there anything like, I know the platforms keep changing, the level of targeting keeps getting more micro, but like, what are the red threads that you see like over the years? You've been doing it for a decade. Great great question. So this is something, uh, I think it's kind of the 101 of marketing, but people, they think that it doesn't apply when it comes to digital marketing. A catchphrase or a word that people use all the time is disruptive. So it has to be disruptive. So here's the challenge about being disruptive in online marketing. And I've seen this and I've been kind of like the catalyst of trends that uh, happen on social media and running ads. So this is what happens is a marketer has a cool idea or a new style or something that they start running an ad and it's disruptive. And it all of a sudden, man, this is doing amazing because maybe it's the color, the style, the types of videos, the format, all of these things, you know, you're always tweaking because you want people when they're scrolling, it's like, whoa, that catches my attention. Stop the the scroll, right? Yeah, stop stop the the scroll. scroll. And so that's the challenge on social media is you want to stop the scroll. So as someone that is innovating and really pushing the envelope on stuff that you always want to be testing what catches people's attention. So what happens is you put together something and you do it and it starts working. You're like, oh man, amazing. This is disruptive. This is getting a great click-through rate, awesome results. Then other marketers, they start seeing it like, whoa, man, that's doing awesome. That really caught my attention. And so guess what they do? is they start doing the same thing. Yeah, and they start to copy it. And next thing you know, what you were doing six months ago that was disruptive, you've got a thousand other marketers that are doing the exact same thing. So it's no longer disruptive. It's camouflaged into everybody else's ads. So that's the challenge is you always have to do. So I've seen this like, there used to be a time when I almost laugh about this, but people would run ads where they would have a red outline 
on their ad, on the picture. There was a red outline and then there was a green outline. So it was like, okay, this would make it stand out more. And then everybody started doing red outlines. In it. And then it was just like, it became annoying to people. It stopped catching their attention and it started annoying them and everybody stopped doing that. But then it goes into a different trend. But now I've seen recently and, you know, like five years later after a trend, people are doing something that was popular five years ago because people stopped doing it. So it's kind of one of those things that you you always have to look at what other people are doing and I guess be a contrarian and don't do that. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you wanna make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password and then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Podcast Republic. Hey, Android users, this one's for you. Podcast Republic is a podcast app where you can discover and subscribe to 1 million shows and enjoy live radio streaming. 
They have over 85,000 authentic reviews and a 4.6 star app rating in the Google Play Store. It's no secret that Podcast Republic is one of the best podcast apps for Android users. Podcast Republic has super cool features like the ability to take notes while listening to your podcasts, and you can even schedule to play a podcast at a specific time. Imagine being able to wake up and start your day with Young and Profiting Podcast. If you're an Android user, head over to the Google Play Store to download Podcast Republic. And don't forget to rate and review Young and Profiting Podcast while you're at it. That's really good advice. And I think that it's advice that is evergreen. You know, we can use it now and 10 years from now, it's still true. And I totally agree. You need to make sure your stuff stands out if you want to, you know, get any attention on social media, whether that's organic or paid. So I had Seth Godin on my show. I had him recently, episode number 87. Amazing, um, amazing. Thank you. And like me, I'm more of like a brand marketer, organic marketer. Like I dabble here and there, Instagram ads, YouTube ads, trying to really get up to speed there. But you're more in the paid acquisition space. And so that's that's your expertise. So Seth Godin, for those who don't know him, he was a pioneer in internet marketing. And he coined the term called permission-based marketing, which means anticipated personal unrelevant messages that people want to get. And he thinks it's the opposite of spam. And so essentially it's that consumer need to have the power to choose how they're marketed to. And uh, he believes they should be opting in. And on my show, Seth said, just because you can steal my attention doesn't mean you have a right to steal my attention. Do you agree with Seth on that? Like, what is your, what is your opinion on, on permission-based marketing? Yeah. So here's, here's the thing is there used to be a day when it was a very direct response type of marketing, where it's like put an offer in front of someone, have a fancy headline, really entice them in, and they buy. And that was very popular, direct response marketing. But there has been a huge transition where people are very apprehensive of a direct response marketing. And that has happened for several reasons. Number one is there's a thousand other people doing what you're doing now. So your voice is getting blended in with everybody else's. And so you got to be different. So there's that. And then there's a lot of people that they've been burnt, the scammers and, and different things like that. And so online marketing can often have a negative connotation if it's done wrong. So so there there is a transition where you do have to add value. You have to give, give, give. Uh, like I've seen this, that content that people are posting organically, five years ago, it had been something you would pay for. It would have been something in their mastermind course. But now individuals realize, look, I have to lead with value and giving to people. And then there comes a point where I, I like that there's permission. If good marketing, if it's done right, people ask you to sell them something. They really do. I mean, it's like you're not, you're, you're not even trying to sell something, but people will start to reach out to you. Hey, will you teach me more about this? Will, is there a place where I can find out more? And so they're asking you for more. So it's not even selling. It's just giving people an opportunity to connect with you more. So, so good marketing, you're not shoving something down someone's throat. It's they're like pulling it, say, Hey, give me, I, I want more access to you. Or I want more of your content. Yeah. 
Totally. Have you heard of this new, it's like been in the headlines, the fact that Apple is going to be putting on a new feature for app tracking transparency, which basically means that, you know, a lot of Facebook marketers, the same targeting that they were get, they would get, they might not anymore because a lot of people are going to opt out to sharing their data with Facebook and allowing them to share data across different companies and stuff like that. So are you familiar with this? And do you have any thoughts in terms of that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, this is one of the things that over the years of Facebook ads and everything is there's always new policies. I don't know how many times over 10 years that there's been policies like you used to be able to run Bitcoin. You used to be able to do ads for this and now you can't. It all gets shut down and things change and it used to have this feature, but you don't have this feature. And, and so things are always changing. But this is what, you know, in talking with Facebook, uh, their number one goal is, is they prioritize user experience over how much money they make. And granted, they're a business and they know how to make money, but they have learned that prioritizing the user experience over money means they're going to make more money in the long run. So, so yeah, they, they've changed this and people are more concerned about their privacy and things. But this is what it does is it makes... Bad marketers will stop because they don't know how to navigate in the process, and the good marketers will rise to the top. Good marketers are already doing things, and we already have platforms in place that are customized, that are built out around our own infrastructure. So if Facebook changes things, you know, we've got backups. We we know how to navigate in difficult things. But the average guy that is just spamming Facebook with ads, they're going to get left behind because they don't know how to work. So every change that I've seen Facebook make, it might make the average marketer nervous. Like, what am I going to do? But it will make the good marketers better and the bad marketers, they'll leave. So it's actually, it's going to be for for the good. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like the consumer is going to benefit and then, you know, the good marketers are going to profit off of that. So that totally makes sense. How about data tracking? So is there any, like you're, you're in this space, you've probably targeted on a million different things. Is there things that we just like little known ways that our data is being tracked that you can talk about? <laughs> yeah. So here, here's the thing. I remember when my old buddy Mark, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, was before Congress and they were questioning him about how the data is used and everything like this. What you have to understand is that Facebook is just one point where data is collected. And so he can answer questions like, hey, does Facebook do this? And he's like, uh, no, we don't do that. And the the answer is right. They don't do that, but they're partnered with a thousand other companies that do that. And so Facebook isn't doing it, but this other company that they're partnered with is doing it. So, you know, it, it becomes a slippery slope. So data is being tracked every, and it's not just online. It's when you go to Walgreens, you got your little Walgreens card data is being tracked about you. You ever you ever find it interesting when you 
go to Walgreens and they print out your receipt. And then there's coupons that you receive that are exactly aligned with your spending history. It's because Walgreens is tracking. Uh, If you go to a car dealership, you buy a car. When you sign those documents, you're being tracked. Your information is being given to them. And car dealerships, it's more than just selling cars for them, but they are selling information about you. So everything that you do in one level or another, it is being tracked. So, you know, for a consumer, that might be something that is, it's startling to understand that, you know, there's probably 50,000 or more attributes about you, whether it's your, you know, your age, your income level, your spending habits, the sites that you go to. There's so so many variables. Like we could set up an ad that would say, hey, I want to target a single man that lives in Los Angeles that has a bachelor's degree that makes over $100,000 that lives in this zip code that likes cats. Matter of fact, that likes Siamese cats. And anyways, we could set up an ad that would target a person on that level. So for a consumer, that's something that would make them a little bit nervous. But for a marketer, we're like, yeah, you know, that's great. (laughs) So it's a double-edged sword. (laughs) Yeah. So is there any sort of like line that you have in terms of ethics and paid ads and personalization and targeting? Like, is there anything that you're like, we can't go there? Or do you feel like, you know, sky's the limit when it comes to data tracking and targeting? And and what are your thoughts on that? Is there any like kind of like line in the sand that you draw? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think that in Facebook does have policies in place that does not permit you to target people on certain attributes, you know, gender, ethnicity, things things of that nature. Uh, so I think that those are good guidelines to follow that you're not going to be targeting people based on specific the personal details. So yeah, there there is a a line. Obviously, marketers always find a way around these policies. But again, Facebook finds out about it. They shut them down and things. So a lot of times the people that complain about the policies that Facebook or the other ad platforms have is because they're trying to run that that gray line. They're trying to do it the easier way versus put in extra work, build a personal brand, work hard. They're trying to get the quick money. So policies that are put in place are normally for the good and um, they keep good marketers good and keep the bad marketers out of the industry. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. So paid ads are, you know, the front end of a campaign, right? And then what happens after that? So a lot of people who listen to the show, they're not they're not marketers, so they don't know anything about funnels and, and things like that. So can you explain what a funnel is and maybe some of the core components of a funnel? Yeah, so so basically it's a journey. It's a path that you take. And sometimes the path might happen in you know immediately on your initial online visit. You connect with an ad and you go through a path very quickly. Other times the journey, it might be a day, 
a week, a month, a year. But that's basically what it is. It's a path. And the path might start out, you see that cool ad, someone talking about something that resonates with you. And so it might be an ad. I'll use myself as an example. Before this call, I was actually making um, video ads. And so I start out by calling out the person. Hey, are you a coach? You're a consultant. Are you an entrepreneur wanting to take your business to the next level? Well, I want to talk to you about. And so I'm calling out the individual with an ad. They click on that ad and it takes them to a landing page or the front end of my funnel. And so that's going to be a page that is, you know, has a a hook, a headline talking to them about, hey, maybe you're struggling. A lot of times we hit the the problems that they're having. Are you having a problem getting applications for your high ticket sales? Well, we have the answer for it. Matter of fact, we we use a, a, a simple outline here and it's answering questions. I got my notebook here that was doing, and it's a few questions like who is the person, what is their problem, how we can solve that problem. And, and so we're asking them questions in this and we show them the solution. So initially they might enter their name, their email, phone number, and they're gonna be put into a list and they might be pushed to fill out an application to set up a call. Um, there might be an initial, we call it a tripwire, where they would buy something, a low ticket entry. Again, sometimes people try to go for the big sale quick and it doesn't always work. We've seen individuals that we work with that they're spending a lot of money on trying to sell, let's say, for example, a webinar where the price is $1,000 and they're just not making any money. But we'll put something in the front, um, again, we call it a tripwire, where it's $7, $20, and it just, so we get people to come in here and buy something, you know, a micro commitment, and then if they like that content, a day later, two days later, however long it might take, they'll go to a webinar, they'll watch this, and then they'll later make a $1,000 purchase. And then those people that go into a $1,000 purchase, maybe they want to go faster. Maybe they want some one-on-one attention. Maybe they want personal customized coaching. They can set up a call where they'll get on a, a discovery call or a strategy call and talk to a specialist about how we can help them. And then they're offered coaching programs, stuff of high tickets. But it's a journey. It's kind of like, you know, initially get connected, building that relationship, and then, okay, we have this, and then you take them. And again, depending on the product, the offer, it might be something that it goes very quickly, or typically the higher the price of it, the longer it's going to take for them to go from point A to Z. But it is, it's a journey. We call it a funnel because, you know, funnels shaped like this and you have people come in at the top and then it just slowly goes down. And then, you know, you less likely the people are going to come down to here, but the people that come down here, those are going to be the higher value people. So that's, yeah. that's the so, world of funnels. Yeah, that's an <laughs> excellent explanation. And I've never really heard of a tripwire. I never heard of that that concept. I've heard about people giving like free eBooks and stuff like that, but I love I love what you said about offering something like a micro commitment. That's really smart. 
So really cool stuff there. And then the purpose of the form is to better qualify your leads, right? So that you can ask specific questions and maybe target them more. So like, what's the purpose of the form? Yeah, so when when you're having someone fill out an application, I, I'll give you an example of a, a funnel that we have in our world, is it would be... A $7, I have a book or an audio book talking to people about marketing. And, you know, I hit all the pain points. Hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this, this, and this. And it's $7 for that. Well, then as they go to check out, there's going to be a little box that says, hey, for $27 more, I'm going to throw in all of these PDFs and all of this awesome stuff that is just, you know, they're they're going to look at that like $27. Is that all? And they're going to feel just they have to click that button because the value it ju- is just an irresistible offer. So for $27, they get that. And then a person is going to go after that. They might say, hey, you know, we've got this one-time offer for you that I'm going to teach you how, you know, the secrets of, let's say, for example, Instagram growth, growing your following. Normally, this is $300, but if you act now, I'm going to give it to you for $99. And it's a nice video explaining to them the offer. And again, this is this is before they even click the final checkout button. They're going to get that. And then that kind of concludes if they say yes or no on that. Maybe they say no, no to it. We'll come back and say, hey, you know, how about we break it up into three payments of $40 for you instead of one time 99, we'll break it up into three. And then we try to get them to say yes again. If they say no, we want to go try to get them to say yes again. And so, again, there's kind of a, a little work involved there. Then they check out. They're done. And. After they check out, the thank you page is a video saying, hey, you know, you're a coach, you're a consultant, you have a business, maybe you want to take it to the next level, this is what we're offering, and it's a nice video talking to them about how we might be able to help them with their coaching consulting business. If you're interested, there's an application below that you can fill out and set up a complimentary 30-minute strategy session with one of our experts. So they fill out this application, and yeah, the application asks them qualifying questions. Code, when whenever you see free strategy session, that is code for sales call. Just, you know, plain and simple, plain and simple. Any Anytime you see that in people's bio, free strategy session, that means sales call. Granted, there's going to be a lot of value given in those strategy sessions where we pick apart what you're doing and give you value. But at the end of it, they're going to say, hey, you know, we offer a coaching program, a mentorship program, and, you know, this is what we offer, and you make the decision from there. I don't I don't like high pressure, like, oh, you know, you got to buy, buy, buy. That's never a good way to work with someone. But the application, it's going to ask them qualifying questions to see if they would be a good fit. If they're one of those people, like, uh, like I even ask on some of our applications, do you realize the importance of investing in yourself? And the answer, answer number one that they can say is, I don't have any money and I think I should get everything for free. So we ask them that question. And then the second answer is, 
yes, I, I understand, but I'm on a limited budget. I can only invest between this amount and this amount of money. Then the third answer is going to be something like, I mean, business, I'm a serious entrepreneur and I understand the importance of really investing in myself. And so, so those are qualifying questions where if, if someone is saying, hey, I want everything for free, and people do fill out applications and say, I want everything for free, chances are they're not going to be qualified for a coaching program that we would offer to them. So yeah, it's about the application is qualifying them. Hey, YapFam, starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full-time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow Grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and 
do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at Yap. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. What a great explanation. I think you gave so many good gems. So I work in marketing. I have a podcast marketing agency. And a lot of my, I don't do click funnels for my clients. So like, I don't set that up. I don't claim I'm an expert. I'm not, you know, I'm an expert in organic marketing. Like that's what I'm really good at. Right. And everybody always asks me like that so many people are so misinformed and they don't know where to start. And even huge companies that I've done work for, like they don't have their funnel strategy together. And, and it just seems like, it's a very like, you don't know, you either know it or you don't know it. And a lot of companies really don't have their shit together. If I, if you don't mind me cursing, when it comes to their funnels, they don't know how to do it. Where, what do you advise people? Like, where do you advise people to start? Like, should they just get click funnels and, and kind of like do something out the box like that? Like, what is your advice to either companies or people who really want to get their funnels right? Cause I get this question 20 times a week. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I've seen that and I've worked with companies that they reach out to us and they say, we've got this college grad from Ivy League school, has a degree in marketing, and they don't know what they're doing. They honestly, you know, the, the danger in in some just being stuck in college academics is that you can go to college and what you learn there is two or three years outdated in what's working. Um, when it comes to internet marketing, it's really, you have to be studying it every week. You know, like you mentioned, there's new policies coming out that you didn't learn about this in college last year. So you have to be continually learning. You have to have mentors. You have to have groups that you can work with, masterminds that you can always be learning when it comes to internet marketing in particular. Granted, there's probably some professions that you know you can learn and hey it's good to go for a long period of time but internet marketing is not one of those things that that's true you always have to be learning so there's a lot of great platforms that work for things the the best way to figure out what's working is find that individual that is the best of the best in the industry Find those funnels, find those websites, find the experts, see what they're doing and model it. Um, success leaves a trail. You know, we call it in the industry funnel hacking, where basically you find the funnels that are working good, 
look at what they're doing. And you know, if this if this individual is making X amount of dollars, they've done a lot of testing, they've done a lot of work. And so you just begin to model that. You don't copy it or, you know, just completely do exactly what they're doing, but you model it. Like, for example, if their headline is over here on this side in this color, put your headline this side, this color. If they're using this color button, use this color button. If they're using this type of video, use that type of video. And so you model what they're doing because these big companies, they've spent millions of dollars testing and split testing. So the quickest way to get to where they're doing is look at what they're doing and model what they're doing. That's super, super smart and really practical advice. Thank you so much. Let's switch gears really quickly. Let's talk about side hustles. So you wrote an online book about 27 side hustles. I'm obviously a proponent of side hustles. I grew my business on the side of Disney streaming for two years to multi-six figures. So love side hustles. I think everyone should have one, especially if they're a hustler. So why do you love side hustles? And are there any side hustles for 2021 that you highly recommend? So here's the thing is in probably in September, October of 2019, I always have people come to me like, Hey, Paul, will you teach me how to do what you do? Teach me how to do what you do. And I'm like, ah, you got a couple of years. You want to sit down and um, learn? We can do that. But I realized what they were asking is, can you teach me how to that laptop lifestyle, work from home, make money. And I know when I first got started in internet marketing is there's so many different ideas and people saying, do this, do this. And I tried so many different things and I didn't know, okay, is this real or is this just a scam? Or And so it was just a difficult road to figure out what to really do. So I put this book together to really show people, this is the stuff that works. These, what I did is I actually interviewed, I don't know, probably 60, 70 people that were make legitimately making money online. Not these get rich quick schemes or anything like that, but people that were legitimately doing things. Like for example, I interviewed a 17 year old boy that while he was in high school made over $20,000 in one year. Now, $20,000 for the person that is fascinated by the guys driving the Lamborghinis and everything like that, $20,000 a year doesn't sound too glamorous, but $20,000 a year to the average person will change their life. So especially if it's a side hustle, this is somebody that is doing this in school. So I interviewed him and said, hey, you know what? What are you doing making $20,000 a year, 17 years old in high school? Obviously, if he could do it, the stay-at-home mom could do it. The guy that is working 40 hours a week that's got, you know, five, 10 hours extra a week that he can put into it, they can do it. So again, that's what I wanted to learn in interviewing these people. So I interviewed a lot of people that were doing things. Some were making extra a year. Some people were making a significant amount of money doing this. A lot of times what happens about a side hustle is a side hustle, if you get good at it, can be turn into a full-time hustle. So uh, when someone just starts to learn how to make the first $100 online, they can replicate that. So that's what I did is I interviewed a lot of people you know, that were doing cool things and compiled it, put it into a book, made some videos and everything like that. And just trying to give people a blueprint here. Here's some cool things that are working. Try them out. So, so that was 27 side hustles. Yeah. So yeah. Anything you recommend for 2021? 
So it's, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be too complicated. I mean, it's, you do have to work. I think that's sometimes the misconception is people want to like just click a button and money starts printing. And there's no work involved. And, uh, you know, don't we wish we could all do that? I do believe in passive incomes, but there is no income that doesn't demand some work, whether it's in the At front. At least up front. And, yeah. And, yeah. You know, you have to do some work initially somehow. Uh, so I'll give you a few of the ideas that I saw. I'm like, man, this is amazing. So the 17-year-old boy that I interviewed, this is what he was doing. Is he put an ad on Craigslist saying, do you have an old cell phone that you want to get rid of? I will buy it from you for cash. And people would respond to it and he would buy their phone and he knew based on this model, you know, the shape, the condition of it and everything like that, that it was worth, let's say, $100, where he would buy it from this person for $50 and then place it on Facebook Marketplace, eBay, something like that for the going rate of $100. So it's just basically a quick arbitrage. He would buy it from someone for $50, knew the value was $100, and there he's made $50 himself. So you do that a few times a week, a few different cell phones, then you've made yourself $20,000 a year. Not a whole lot of work involved, not very complicated to do, but it's real money. It's real money. So I've seen that. I've seen individuals that will go to thrift stores and find something at a thrift store that like, for example, books, there's there's an entire world of, they call them book flippers. And it's really amazing. They will go to thrift stores, libraries that are getting away old books and stuff, and they will buy the books. And, you know, some of these stores, you can buy a book for 50 cents. And they buy the book for 50 cents, and then they will put it up on Amazon or there's other websites, and they might sell it for 10 or $15. I met individuals and interviewed individuals that bought a book at a garage sale for $2. And it was actually a rare book and they sold it for thousands of dollars. So it's kind of like treasure hunting, you know, digital treasure hunting, but it's, it's real money. Another one is I interviewed a lady. She had graduated from college and she was in between things was wanting to go back get her master's degree and but she enjoyed traveling and so what she did is she taught children overseas conversational english there's websites that you can sign up on and she told me she's like a couple hours a day i go onto this app and i just have basic conversations with young students wanting to improve their english and she does that four or five times a week, and she makes a couple thousand dollars a month doing that. So again, there's there's real things. There's sites like Upwork where you can, if you've got a skill set, there's sites like Fiverr that, again, I when, when I first got involved in internet marketing, I remember putting gigs up on Fiverr and Upwork and other sites like that, and people would hire me to do that. So if you've got a skill set or you can put in some time, there's a lot of different ways that you can make money online. Yeah. And that just 
it made me think of an idea. So not only arbitraging products, but also services. So there's people who work in India and the Philippines and they might be good at graphic design. You could be the relationship manager and the broker between the graphic designer and you find somebody who needs graphic design work and you can just connect the dots and you could have no graphic design skills, but you just manage the relationship and take a little profit on top. So it's like, there's so many different ways to like arbitrage on the internet, I think. Absolutely. I had one of my coaching students, his name's Peterson. He came up to me recently and he he was trying to figure out how to do online businesses and stuff. And he's like, I know a lot of people that know they want websites, they need graphic design, but I don't know how to do that. And so I pointed him to some sites where you can hire graphic designers, website designers. And if you can get the client, you just hire this team and they will do the work and you just figure it out. Okay, they're going to charge me $1,000. I'll charge the client $2,000. And like you said, as a middle person, you're making money there. And so um, he's done very well in doing that. So yeah, you can you can be a website designer, a logo designer. You can offer those services just by finding relationships online that will do the work for you. Totally. Okay. So the last question I ask all my guests is what is your secret to profiting in life? Secret to profit? Give, give. Yeah. It's just give. People before profits, give to others, pour into others, help others. You'll never go wrong. Going back to my degree in theology, there is a universal principle in all religions that you reap what you sow. I mean, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, there's a universal principle that if you give and um, you sow good, you will reap good. And it works. So just give, help others, serve others, and it will come back. Don't, Don't put money first, but just put people first and you'll always be successful. That's fabulous advice. Thank you so much, Paul. This was such a great conversation. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Oh, thank you very much, Holly. It's been my privilege. So probably one of the easiest places is find me on Instagram. Again, my Instagram handle is Paul. It's just P-A-U-L. Follow me on Instagram. Send me a message. Be more than happy to connect with you. My personal website is paulgetter.com, and you can find out all kinds of information about me there. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast with Paul Getter. If I had to pick a favorite part of this episode, it would be when Paul gave the advice to put relationships over revenue. I love that. And it's so true. Put your relationships first and everything else will follow. Today, we live in the information age. The more information that you have, the more powerful that you are. And relationships are the best source of information. If you build relationships based on trust, people will give you invaluable information. It may help you communicate better with your customers, improve your products, grow your business, and gain a competitive advantage. And not to mention referrals. Referrals are the lifeblood of an entrepreneur. And without relationships, you won't get any referrals. So I can't recommend this advice enough. 
put your relationships over revenue. And then the last thing I have to say about this is having relationships with people in your industry can also result in free advice that you would otherwise have to pay for or learn yourself at a much slower pace. So for example, Jordan Harbinger is one of my mentors now, and he's a huge podcaster who is much more successful than me. And I learned so much from him and I always put relationships over revenue when it comes to our engagement. And same thing with Heather Monahan. She's a speaker. She's a former C-suite executive. She's been everywhere that I want to go and same with Jordan. And so I get this free advice by having these relationships and putting my relationship over revenue when I work with them. And I think that's a key to success. So kudos to Paul for calling that out. Relationships over revenue. I'm never going to forget that. And in fact, I always butt heads with my business partner, Tim, about this topic all the time because he likes to prioritize revenue and I like to prioritize relationships. So remember, relationships over revenue, I think that's the way to go. What was your favorite part of this interview? Tell me by dropping us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're a new listener, please take a few minutes to subscribe to Yap on your favorite podcast platform. If you like this episode, you may also be interested to hear my recent interview, number 87, The Practice of Creativity with Seth Godin. Seth is a marketing mastermind, public speaker, and best-selling author. Here's a clip from that episode. So let's, let's look at Tesla. The Tesla Model S tells a story, which is, if you bought a Mercedes because you thought you were smart and taking care of your family, now you feel stupid because this is that car that you should have bought. And as soon as a Mercedes driver in California saw the Model S, totally ruined their day because now they were driving the wrong car and they had to go solve their problem. That's the design of the Model S. So then they decided to come out with that pickup truck and they blew it because Elon lost discipline. What should the pickup truck have looked like? Well, who buys a pickup truck? Why is the Ford F-150 the single most popular vehicle in America? Why do pickup trucks keep looking like pickup trucks? Because the story we tell ourselves if we're going to be the kind of person who buys a pickup truck is, this is utility. I'm not trying to stand out. I am just a hardworking fellow or a woman who's trying to do their best. That's a pickup truck. So when you make the cyber truck look like that weird thing that was carved out of a piece of whatever, they blew it. That's not the story of a pickup truck. What they should have done is built the most boring Ford F-150 knockoff ever, but with just enough of a twist that it says, I'm the kind of person who buys a pickup truck, but I'm smarter than you. That was the opportunity. And they missed it because they didn't understand story. So I'm hearing a couple things here. One of the things that I'm hearing is that it's not enough to just like create your own story. You kind of have to align to the stories and the beliefs that are already out there, yes. right? Yes, yes. So a couple more general marketing questions before we move on to the main topic of the show, which is your new book, The Practice. What do you think that marketers are doing wrong today in 2020? If you could call out a few things that marketers do wrong today, what would they be? Yeah, it hasn't changed in my whole life. <laughs> Selfish, short-term, narcissistic, lying, cheating, shortcutting, profit-seeking. That's what they're doing wrong. Anytime you do any of those things, you're burning trust. And marketing is a race to earn and preserve trust. Again, that's number 87, The Practice of Creativity with Seth Godin. People love that episode. And so I would highly recommend to go back and check it out. 
As always, I want to give a quick shout out to our latest Apple podcast reviewers. This user goes by the name of Millennial Podcast. Diamond in the Rough. I found out Hollis podcast through LinkedIn and I'm so glad I decided to check it out. The guests she has all bring so much value and you always learn something new from every episode. It truly lives up to its name of young and profiting, but people of any age can learn more about business, negotiation, entrepreneurship, persuasion, and more. Thank you so much for that amazing review, Millennial Podcast. And I totally agree. Young and profiting is for all ages. So do tell your mother, your brother, your grandmother, tell everyone how much you love Young and Profiting Podcast. If you found value in today's show, please take a few minutes to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a free and effective way to support our show. And I love seeing posts about Yap on LinkedIn or Instagram. Here's an idea. Take a screenshot of your podcast app and share it to your story and tag me at Yap with Hala. I'll repost and support those who support us. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search my name. It's Hala Taha. And now I'm on Clubhouse. My username is at Hala Taha. And don't forget, we have an epic event February 2nd with David Meltzer, John Lee Dumas, and Heather Monahan in Clubhouse. The link for that is in my show notes. Big thanks to the Yap team. As always, you guys rock. This is Hala signing off.